0: The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. This week... My guest is Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus. We are going to do a deep dive into the college football playoff games. We'll also slide a little early NFL draft talk in at the end, but mostly it'll be Alabama OU and Clemson Notre Dame. Now this episode is being recorded a little early, so if some news pops up closer to the games and you're wondering why we're not addressing it, well, that's why. Thanks again for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Podcast One. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe, and if so inclined, give us a good review. And as usual, you can go to collegefootball.ap.org, where you can read all of AP's college football coverage. And away we go. Joining me this week on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast is Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus, Pro Football Focus College basically is uh, most of his domain. And he does a little, do a little of everything, right? little college, a little pro.
1: little of everything, yeah. We you know, cover the NFL, cover college, cover the draft, and uh, we cover every single player that takes any snap in the FBS or the NFL, so... Mm-hmm have to cover all of
0: it. Yeah, exactly. So it's all football. It's all good. And Steve, I brought Steve on because I wanted to do a playoff preview. Now, I mentioned this in the opening, but I'll mention it again. We are doing this about a week ahead. So it's even before Christmas, but we want to get out ahead of the recording because who wants to record on Christmas Eve? Um, so Steve was nice enough to join me today. So I'm just saying that if any news comes up and you're saying, hey, that happened and they're not mentioning it, that's the only reason why but again we're going to do a deep dive on these two playoff games in a way that should hold through the rest of the week so Steve let's start with actually let's start with this which one of these matchups do you think has the chance to be more competitive and then we'll get into that matchup
1: I definitely think Alabama Oklahoma is the most intriguing just because you've got Kyler Murray you've got Uh, Lincoln Riley going up against Alabama's defense. There's a chance this thing isn't, if Oklahoma slips up just a little bit offensively, maybe it's not competitive, but I think it's definitely the most intriguing matchup.
0: So then let's do a little bit of a deep dive there because on the surface, it doesn't look like any of the matchups, Alabama's offense against Oklahoma's defense do anything for Oklahoma. From watching Oklahoma, from grading out Oklahoma, is there anything to give us any hope that Oklahoma can stop elements of Alabama's offense or do anything to keep Alabama from just rolling and rolling?
1: Not really. Uh, <laughs> honestly, I think they
0: need... And that's a wrap, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just not much that Oklahoma has done against you know anybody in the Big 12, and then you look at what Alabama has done you know that Alabama's playing like a Big 12 offense we always joke about the Big 12 and their offenses and their lack of defense well Alabama's offense looks like they're playing in the Big 12 this year with you know being able to chuck the ball down the field and picking up yards after the catch Um, I'm looking at a list of our grades of all the players that are in the college football playoff and I'm just sorted by defensive players and the first player that comes up for Oklahoma is 16th so it's uh, Neville Gallimore at 82.2 in our zero to one hundred system. So just on a pure personnel standpoint, there's like eight players from Clemson that are <laughs> ranked higher, to, uh, you know, from a defensive standpoint than uh, than Oklahoma's top defensive player. So I think between that and what you see with with Alabama's NFL-type wide receivers from Jalen Waddell to Jerry Judy, Irv Smith at tight end, and all the guys that they're throwing out there. That passing attack is just going to be so difficult to slow down.
0: One of the things I've been interested in coming into this game, and listen, Alabama has shown throughout the year, it is, as you said, playing more like a Big 12 offense. It's also playing with an identity that is a little different from what we're used to Saban, in that they take shots downfield. They take it early. They are sort of playing in a lot of their games to score a bunch of points. And you say, well, you're always looking to score. But I think Alabama's M.O. in a lot of big games throughout the Saban era has sort of been play a little more conservative offensively with the idea that we are going to shut you down defensively. We're going to sort of sit on your chest. We're going to pound the – we're going to run the ball. My only question I have heading into this game is, is Alabama comfortable playing Oklahoma's style? Because I do think, my personal opinion, is their best chance at winning – is by sort of playing Oklahoma at its own game. I'm wondering what your opinion on that is. No, I, I
1: agree with you on that. I mean, I really think. Look, if you're an underdog in a game, your goal is to shorten the game as much as possible, and essentially to stay in it as long as you can. And Alabama's old style is kind of conducive to that for Oklahoma. I think if if Alabama remains the aggressor, there there will be there will certainly be points to be had, right? So you know, I think staying aggressive, and again, the fact that they can. You know, they can attack you with uh, Damian Harris and Josh Jacobs in the run game they can attack you with with five legitimate NFL caliber targets and then you know one of the most accurate passers in college football we talk about Oklahoma their best chance I mean I think their best chance is to uh who played you know who played banged up against Georgia in the SEC championship and I think their best are, you know, their best chance is him playing at a similar level which whether he was hurt or not he was just a step slow he was a little indecisive he was just a little behind on a few passes that that led to some turnover opportunities. So I think Oklahoma just has to uh, weather the storm as much as they possibly can and, and hope for one of those red zone turnovers, you know, some sort of game changing play, whereas Alabama, I think, should absolutely try to be the aggressor take away Oklahoma's run game, make them pass, and then try to make Oklahoma play catch-up as early as
0: possible. Right. I think there's there might have been a school of thought at one time or another in a matchup like this that Alabama wants to keep Oklahoma's offense off the field. That is, uh, in some ways, uh, not a bad approach, but I also think Alabama could, again, just, just sort of play Oklahoma's game and just score 65 and let the chips fall right. where they may. It seems to me the more interesting matchup is the other side of the ball. It doesn't seem to me. I think it's obvious the more interesting matchup is on the other side of the ball, where Oklahoma has some guys who grade out very well, especially along the offensive line. Let's start with that matchup of Oklahoma's offensive line, which, you know, they won the Joe Moore Award, which goes to the best offensive line. I don't know how they graded out with PFF system. Meanwhile, on Alabama's defensive front, you have and Williams, who may have been the best player in the country regardless of position or right up there, plus a couple of other NFL guys. So let's break down that matchup, and where does PFF grade out those players?
1: Yeah, it's a great one. I mean, you mentioned uh, and Williams. He had the best uh, defensive lineman season that we've seen since we started grading in 2014. You know, just eyeballing Aaron Donald, who was in college in 2013, uh, he probably would have been up in that range and knowing what Aaron Donald is doing at the NFL level. Uh, there's a good chance he would have been up in that range where Quinnen is right now, but it's the best we've seen. So it's just been a dominant season, you know, for him up front. And then, yeah, you mentioned the Joe Moore Award for the offensive line at Oklahoma. They've been pretty good for a couple of years now. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Cody Ford over at right tackle is really good. Uh, he was their highest, uh, one of their highest graded players, Creed Humphrey, the the freshman center. Um, so they've been solid. Bobby Evans at left tackle. So they're they're solid across the board on that offensive line. Plus they scheme it up really well. I mean, this is the big thing, right? Lincoln Riley's already getting, you know, NFL hype. And you talk about Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, both winning Heisman trophies. So, you know, schematically this matchup is great, That just in the trenches with Oklahoma having this excellent offensive line going up against Quinnen Williams and Isaiah Bugs and Raquan Davis, all guys who are just solid, kind of classic Alabama players. They're always very technically sound in the run game, uh, they know how to shed blocks. They're rarely moved off the spot. That's what they've always had with guys like Sean Robinson and Jaron Reed. But Quinnen just brings a different element. He's he's closer to Jonathan Allen. Remember, Allen was getting Heisman hype. And, you know, those are the two guys that have been the most dominant Bama defensive players over these last couple of years. So this will be one of the best matchups to watch up front.
0: How is Alabama pass rush wise? And how best do you go about pass rushing a guy like Kyler Murray who is a phenomenal athlete, also a little undersized. So what are the factors that go into Alabama disturbing Murray in the passing game?
1: Yeah, it's, this is an interesting one because Bama is one of two teams in the country that's been able to pressure opposing quarterbacks over 40% of the dropbacks. The only other team is Clemson. So we, you kind of expect that from Clemson. And, and you expect that from Bama as well. So they do get after the quarterback. They get after the quarterback with a whole bunch of different guys. They've got nine different guys that have at least 10 pressures, led by Quinnen Williams, of course. But you've got guys like Christian Miller off the edge. I mentioned Isaiah Bugs. But then you've got Kyler Murray, who has faced a higher percentage of just three-man rushes than any quarterback in the country. About, about a third of his dropbacks have uh, faced a three-man rush. And part of that's just the way that Big 12 likes to play defense. They like to sit back, play coverage, make you kind of dink and dunk as best they possibly can. Um, but sometimes you get used to that and you're not used to playing under pressure as much. And Murray hasn't been under a ton of pressure. So I think Bama, you know, I think they can get after them with the four-man front. It'll be a good battle against Oklahoma's offensive line. But as well as Oklahoma's offensive line is played, when you're facing the three-man rush all the time, you're probably not going to give up a ton of pressure. So I think Bama can get after Kyler Murray. You just have to be so careful with your pass-rush lanes. So it's like playing an Aaron Rodgers or a Patrick Mahomes where you just don't want to let Kyler Murray break contained because he can make special plays with his arm and with his legs. So another awesome matchup to watch with one of the best pass-rushing teams in the nation going up against one of the best pass-protecting teams.
0: Well, let me uh, throw this one at you as far as pass-rush and Alabama. There's a lot of different guys that they have at their, suspo- at their disposal to get a pass-rush, but are they a team that will bring – five and six or are they more content with just rushing 4
1: you, you're not going to get a ton of creative blitzes uh, from Bama I think that's always been Saban is kind of like you know him and Belichick through the years just you know win with that win with that front four play sound on the back end but they'll mix it up a little bit you have a guy like Mac Wilson who has uh, 60 blitzes this year 18 pressures so I think it's about picking Ah, uh, they will pick their spots, and, and what teams like this tend to do is it's it's on third down. You know, you yeah. you play base on first and second down, and then on third down, if you can get them into third and long, you start to see some of the creative stuff. So that is something to keep an eye on and see if Oklahoma uh, can handle those blitz packages. I think we'll see at least you know five or six creative blitzes at the right time from Alabama.
0: Okay, now we also talked so much about Murray. He's a great runner when things break down. Uh, how much do they run him as far as sort of design runs for him? My eyes tell me not a lot, but what? But when you start looking at numbers, what do you see?
1: Yeah, I can pull up the exact numbers right now, but it's definitely a lot more than they had with Baker Mayfield. Oh, I sure. Got about, yeah. 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 About 50 or so. Okay. Uh, rushes. He's got 89 total attempts, 32 of which. Were uh, scramble. So you've got okay. a pretty decent number, uh, 11 touchdowns on the ground from Kyler. And you know, you it's kind of like we talked about, like with Lamar Jackson, a lot of his rushing isn't necessarily scrambling. It is actually in the design run game. Kyler's more of a, fi- not 50-50 split, but you, you get both, you know, you get the scrambling on passes and you get the design run game. And that's what I think's made Lincoln Riley so, you know, so difficult, you know, so difficult to defend is um, his play action game's excellent. And then He's played to his quarterback skill sets. You know, Baker's a precision passer, and you're not going to run him a ton. Kyler, an outstanding runner. So, you, again, Alabama's defense, when they've been beaten in the past, it's the Deshaun Watsons of the world. It's the mobile quarterbacks. It's the teams that, you know, might play a little tempo and, and keep Alabama off balance. So, Oklahoma at least has the tools to be able to do that with Kyler under center.
0: Can Oklahoma run the ball? in a traditional way and I don't even know if that's applicable for Oklahoma and and if it's even necessary for Oklahoma but could they, and traditional also tends to be vague. I guess what I'm saying is can Oklahoma turn around, hand the ball to a back and run the ball against Alabama?
1: I don't think so. I mean, I don't think anybody ever can and you know, it comes back to just how fundamentally sound they are. You know, there was a couple of years ago when they had A. Robinson and Jaron Reed, you could literally find a handful of plays in which they were knocked out of their gap. And I think this year's team's probably not as not as stout, maybe against the run, but similar. You know, that's just how they. It's just how they train guys. That's how Raekwon Davis plays. Again, Quinnen's the penetrator. That's gonna. You know, if if you just keep running traditional running plays, he's gonna blow up one or two of those. You know, so I do think the quarterback always changes the numbers advantage, right? You know, mm-hmm. the fact that you have to. Uh, If you have to account for Kyler Murray, that opens things up with the run game. It opens things up with play action. You always need that threat, so... I think Oklahoma just has to be creative if they're going to run the ball against Alabama.
0: And the back end of Alabama's defense was coming into the season considered, you know, I, would, I wouldn't I would say a, not a weakness because there's never really a weakness on Alabama when you have nothing but five- and four-star recruits. But they were relatively new players. They were sort of looking for new corners, guys who are talented players, to sort of step up and assert themselves. Where is the back end of Alabama's defense compared to – some very good receivers for Oklahoma in CD Lamb and Marquise Brown.
1: Yeah, you just you just don't know how big how well are they going to reload is generally the question. And it's it's I'd say the back end for Bama it's not as good as it's been in in recent years, but guys like Shaheem Carter, Savion Smith, I mean they've They've played well. We, we saw Trevon Diggs early in the year before he got hurt, playing pretty well. So mm-hmm. there's certainly plenty of talent back there. Deontay Thompson at safety has been just he, outstanding. Yeah, he's he had, a, down a, he's had bit. a
0: great year, right? Yeah,
1: he slowed down a little bit after just a great start. But, you know, especially when we're looking forward to the NFL draft, I, I love watching safeties and you love watching what they're capable of doing. And with, within two weeks, Deontay Thompson showed everything that he was capable of doing. He was making plays as a single high free safety He was making plays as a box safety. He was making plays as a slot corner. Um, So you just see all that versatility that he brings. Now, he busted a few coverages at points through the year and missed a few tackles and all that stuff. But he was definitely one of the best playmaking safeties in the entire entire nation this year. Then you've got Patrick Sertain as a true freshman playing Mm -hmm. really well at corner. So they've graded well across the board, not great across the board. So it might not be... You know the best man for man secondary that Alabama's put out there over the last four or five years, but as far as depth goes and starting five, so to speak, starting five or six, I mean they're they're right there.
0: All right, so we're going to take a quick break. We've got a pretty good. Uh, well, actually, before we do that, give me a pick.
1: I think it's Alabama. Yeah. I, I I hope it's a shootout. I think it's going to be <laughs> yeah. a bit of a shootout. I just can't wait to see Kyler Murray against uh, Saban Bama defense and and just some uh, SEC speed.
0: Let me just throw one more quick thing at Murray at you because again, we so we so much focus on his mobility and his playmaking. He's a really good thrower of the football too, right?
1: Yeah. And look, the whole, the whole year, like we were the biggest Baker Mayfield fans you'll ever find. We had him at first number one overall in our mock draft last October, well before anybody else did. And we said, look, this is the guy. And throughout the entire year, Kyler Murray was putting up a passing grade similar to Baker Mayfield the whole time. And I'm like, wait a second, can we double check this? Like, let's make (laughs) sure that our grades are, are Right. And you know, he ended up a little bit behind Baker from a passing standpoint, but he was, he was moving the ball. And, and the system certainly helps. They have a ton of open throws. I mentioned the three-man rushes, but he was able to make tight window throws. He's able to throw the ball down the field. He can layer it with touch. And then he adds the mobility as well. So I was surprised at how efficient Kyler was as a passer. He was our highest-graded passer this year in the entire nation and our highest-graded rusher. And I think... You know That's why, he, for us, he was more of a slam-dunk Heisman Trophy winner maybe than uh, some other people okay. may have expected.
0: Okay, now we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back and we'll break down Notre Dame-Clemson. You are listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm talking with Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus. And we're back on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo from AP, and I'm joined today by Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus. We are breaking down the college football playoff matchups. We just did a deep dive on Oklahoma, Alabama. Now we'll go to the Cotton Bowl, where I'll be on December 29th, and do Clemson-Notre Dame. You know, the funny thing is, like somebody asked me a couple weeks ago, is there any spot where Notre Dame has an advantage over Clemson? And I found myself thinking, well, no, I don't think so, personnel-wise, or at least unit matchup-wise. But for some reason, I I find myself thinking that Notre Dame could keep this not close as to say, like, down to the wire, but they could keep this a game into the fourth quarter. When you look at this, are there any spots where you think, okay, this is a matchup where Notre Dame might be at least even? Yeah, not
1: necessarily head-to-head. You know, in matchups, but I do, I agree with you. I think the way Notre Dame is built, which is, you know, the defense has to make plays, you know, the, the, the defense plays, you know, pretty well. Uh, you have an efficient quarterback. So they've got that formula where if everything goes right and you get yourself into second and fives and you just, you know, you hold on to the ball, you shorten the game a little bit. Again, playing that, playing that underdog type of role where you just limit possessions, the fewer the possessions in the game, you know, the more the underdog has, has an opportunity. So, sure. I, I mean, I think they, they are built to at least to do that with an efficient ground game, efficient quarterback, and a defense that can get off the field here and there against Clemson. Um, so I think that's, um, you know, the place. The fact that Notre Dame has uh, playmakers at every level, from Jerry Tillery on the D-line to Von Coney, Julian Love at cornerback, you know, they've got some of the talented guys to uh, to make a few stops against Clemson and certainly make a game of it.
0: We talked about the Oklahoma and Alabama offensive-defensive line matchup, which expects to be really interesting. Clemson's defensive line has gotten a ton of hype, maybe even a little overhyped. I mean, they're yeah. really, really good. They might not have four first-round draft picks, but they're, nonetheless, they're going to have four NFL players on there for sure. Notre Dame's offensive line has been a little bit of a work in progress. They have some very talented guys there, and this offensive line, Mike, next year, could they have some guys who could turn out to be big-time NFL players, but where is that Oklahoma, excuse me, that, that Notre Dame offensive line, Clemson defensive line matchup? Well, how does it grade out to you?
1: Yeah, so definitely in Clemson's favor, and and I was in the boat that said that, hey, Clemson's D-line's overrated, but again, it depends on your Depends on which lens you're looking at. I was going from the lens of people saying, well, they've got three top 10 picks and four first rounders. Yeah, they're overrated by that regard. But um, they're, they're as good as it gets in the country. They've got the best pass rush grade that we've given, um, and they do it pretty much with that front four, with Christian Wilkins, with Dexter Lawrence, uh, with Cleveland Farrell. I mean, those guys get after the quarterback. Love the guys on the interior the most with Wilkins uh, and Lawrence, because those guys our outstanding run defenders. And uh, my big question for Wilkins coming into this year is he had never really rushed the passer at the efficient level that I would have liked to see for for a potential future first-round pick, and, and he's improved greatly in that area this year. So, um, you know, they've got all the tools up front, and I think when you look at Notre Dame's offensive line, when you lose, you know, guys like Mike McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson, who right now are our top highest, they're our highest-graded rookie offensive linemen in the yeah. entire NFL right now. I mean, that's a that's a massive drop-off no matter no matter who's replacing those guys. So they've had their growing pains. I think maybe the bigger thing to look at, though, right now, I think with PFF we do a pretty good job of isolating the offensive line from the quarterback when it comes to you mm-hmm. know, uh, uh, essentially charging uh, you know, sacks and hits and hurries and all that stuff. Ian Book is, has been charged with 13 sacks this year. So uh, for a guy that's been a more efficient passer and much more accurate than what they had with Brandon Wimbush, he needs to get rid of the ball. Much quicker against this Clemson defensive front, so he needs to trust those receivers. Get rid of the ball. He can't be sitting back there taking three or four sacks that are his his entire fault because he'll be under pressure, you know, against uh, uh, you know with with the Clemson D line. So he can't take you know bring more pressure upon himself than uh, than he
0: needs to. Do you think because this is a formula that I had sort of conjured up? I'm wondering what you think about it. I, I think running, you know, the the um, the Notre Dame running game has been a little up and down. Um, Mm -hmm. had some really good games, have some not-so-good games. Now, Dexter Williams is an explosive player, so that gives them a player. Maybe not Travis Etienne's um, equal, but certainly an equivalent, I guess, might be, you know, ballpark. Do you think Notre Dame could make up for – because I haven't seen anybody really run the ball much against Clemson. Do you think Notre Dame could make up for running game issues – With a short passing game? Could they abandon and say, listen, we're not just going to bang our heads against the wall here and keep running into a line that we can't move. But why don't we just do more quick game and just lean on that? Do you think that is a, a strategy that could be employed against Clemson?
1: I think it's a strategy that needs to be employed okay. against Clemson. I guess that may be a
0: better question. Yeah, yeah, I,
1: I think they have to. If there's been a weakness for Clemson, and, and look, the, the the further the year went with Clemson, especially with Trevor Lawrence taking over at quarterback, I would say the closer they got to Alabama, you know, mm-hmm. the entire year it was Alabama's in a separate tier, and then the you know, especially in our automated rankings, uh, it was Alabama number one, and then two through six was was just a cluster you know a bunch of teams that you can move any which way but then alabama was in the special tier eventually clemson started to move closer and the thing that did that for us was their coverage just started to get a little bit better and better you remember texas a&m earlier in the year they had some mishaps and they they just weren't covering that well on the back end um but even so they've improved you know since early in the season but it's still if there's a weakness you know it's it's on the back end for clemson again they've They've been churning, you know, defensive talent, uh, you know, into the NFL left and right. So at some point they need to run out. And again, it's probably their weakest overall secondary that they've had in recent years. They're still very good, but, you know, one of the weakest. So I think Notre Dame does have to try to control the ball with the passing game and hope that that opens up the run game. And then they could play that ball control style just a little bit. Um so if they can keep Ian book clean enough to to find the short pass game I, I do think that's certainly a viable strategy.
0: Uh, how does Trevor Lawrence stack up to recent well relatively recent PFF era freshman quarterbacks?
1: Uh, much better than all of them. <laughs> Except for Brock Purdy this year from Iowa State he's been outstanding as well. Wow, okay. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence is about an 87 overall grade and just by you know just for reference you've got Josh Rosen who is very good as a true freshman mm-hmm. he was about a 79 in our system. Jake Browning, who actually had his best year as a true freshman and, and slowly got worse, um, he was about 77, 78 range. Um, so, the other true freshmen that we have graded in recent years um, have pre- been in that high 70s range. Justin Herbert was up there, and Lawrence is an 87 for us. And, and the thing I'm most impressed about, he's only got three, or I think it's three or four turnover worthy throws those passes that essentially should be intercepted, intercepted, you know, under throws that a corner has a chance for, misreads of underneath linebackers. For a true freshman, he takes incredible care of the football, and it's not because he's a dink-and-dunk type of quarterback. He has a cannon for an arm, and he drives the ball down the field, and he takes advantage of Clemson's really, really good big playmakers. So um, that makes it very difficult to defend, and that's really what's uh, taking this Clemson offense to the next level, is Trevor Lawrence taking care of the football while still being able to get the ball down the field to Justin Ross and T. Higgins and all the different playmakers that they have. So... I've just been so impressed with what he's been able to do as a true freshman.
0: How does Notre Dame stack up as far as pressuring quarterbacks? I mean, just by very traditional stats, Notre Dame doesn't have a ton of sacks. But when you start uh, going into the finer details of pressure, where does Notre Dame stack, uh, stack up and how do they go about it?
1: Yeah, they're, they're actually not our number four highest graded pass rush uh, team in the entire country. So it's Clemson one, Ohio State two, Bama three, Notre Dame four. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're looking at you know three out of four teams going to the college football playoff. Ohio State just missed, and this is so different from what Notre Dame was just you know even two years ago uh, when I used to I used to do preview packets for the NBC Notre Dame games because we you know we have an agreement with NBC and. Um, every single week, I was saying, well, they've only they only had three pressures last week. They only had <laughs> six pressures last week. It was actually absurd the uh, how little pressure and how how few sacks they were getting as recently as two years ago. Um, but they're they're pretty good up front. Jerry Tillery uh, is fantastic. He's one of our highest graded interior pass rushers. Julian O'Quara has 56 total pressures. He's got something like eight more pressures than any other player in the nation on just third downs. Uh, Khalid Kareem has come on this year. Dalen Hayes. I mean, they've had all these different players come in and out. Tavon Coney's got 16 pressures as just a blitzer at linebacker. So um, they're getting after to the quarterback better than they have since we started doing this in 2014. And that should at least give them a shot. We talk about Trevor Lawrence and how well he's played. If they get pressure on him, you know, he's still a true freshman. And at some point... Could fall into those true freshman mistakes, and I think you know relying on that defensive line at Notre Dame will be a key to 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 uh, trying to make that happen.
0: Last one on this game is uh, uh, Travis Ation has become you know he listen he was getting Heisman buzz. I think he finished like eighth or ninth in the voting. I think that'll probably be the last time that happens because next year he'll be playing with Lawrence, and Lawrence will be the guy next year right. that will be I'm sure will take over that. But nonetheless, the knock on Ation was that he is a tremendous runner, great big playback, but the finer points of the game were sort of eluding him when he grades out not just as a runner but as an overall back where is he this year?
1: Uh it's pretty high. He's over 90, 90.9, but um I'd say those, you know, that stereotype on him is is kind of true. He's got a much better running uh rushing grade than uh, you know he's got a 93 rushing grade and a 90 overall grade, so you know he's a little bit behind as far as his receiving grade goes, pass blocking, and some other areas. So he is a special runner, though. I mean the explosiveness that he brings to the table, and uh, every now and again just pulls out some incredible power as well. So. Ah, uh, certainly a run-first type of back. You know, a little bit behind in the pass game and in pass protection, but a viable runner and a you know key player for Clemson.
0: I'll I'll end with this. So, uh, clearly, you you would pick Clemson in this game. Let's use the point spread as a guide here, not to ask you to make a bet, but I think the point spread was about eleven, eleven and a half, twelve, somewhere in that ballpark. What do you think? Notre uh, chances of Notre Dame actually covering the point spread? Let's put it that way.
1: I, I think it'll be tough. I think they have they again. They've got the the potential and the formula to keep it close. I think they just need they need Ian Book to be really special. You know, he's had games where he's pulled out some great throws down the stretch. He needs to just be kind of special throughout the entire game, which will be a challenge against Clemson, but if they can give him enough clean pocket snaps, he's a pretty good thrower and efficient thrower and that's that's going to be their
0: best bet. Okay, so then we've got an an Alabama and Clemson final again. This will be four years in a row that two teams have played, three times in the national championship game, Uh, knowing that there could be injuries and a lot of other factors, that we have two more games to play before we get, we have games to play before we get there. Where do you think Alabama Clemson will go?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think Bama, you know, they're the favorite. Again, going back to the quarterbacks, they're always kind of the X factor. If Tua reverts back to SEC championship level or or he's banged up and, and he makes some bad decisions, then... You know, that, that brings things much closer. But if, if he's throwing as accurately as he did for, you know, 95% of the season, then Alabama, very difficult to stop, especially with that Clemson secondary. So um, I do expect that to be the matchup. I expect it to be a pretty good one. But but Bama's just a, a tick better across the board.
0: Okay, before I let you go and we wrap this all up, I want to talk a little bit of draft stuff because just just highlighting certain players that came into the year with a lot of hype, And maybe did or didn't uh, live up to the hype. I want to throw one at you and then maybe you can give me examples of, of a few others. Ed Oliver certainly came into the season with the idea that he could be first overall pick, certainly a high pick. He seemed to play well early in the season when he was playing, and then he got hurt and shut it down. There was probably some talk about him being overly cautious, which is fine. He also put up a lot of good tape for you know two-plus years while he was playing. What is your assessment of how he played this year and where he projects out to heading into next year's uh, April's draft?
1: We love that Oliver as a player. Always have. But I also had question marks about him rushing the passer at the next level because he had never really truly done it in college as far as our grading goes so this year he took another big step in that direction got much better but um still only had 25 total pressures and when we're talking about today's nfl you know rushing the passer is so much more important than stopping the run and he's an excellent run defender he's more of a you know penetrating uh three technique type of run defender which he's very good at but i think you know the the rumors and Legit concerns that he's about 270 pounds, and maybe that gets up to 280. It's not a huge deal, but it's significant enough. I mean, we talk about Aaron Donald as undersized, and he's 290 in the NFL, and Oliver is not rushing the passer the way Aaron Donald does. So I think the idea that he was a, a slam dunk top ten pick was always a bit overhyped. And then when you have guys like Quinn and Williams, who have been much better than him with NFL size, with better, uh, with everything better, pretty much across the board. I think that pushes that Oliver down just a little bit. So I still think he's a first-round player, but I think he's got a lot more question marks maybe than people thought that he had coming into the season.
0: You have this massive group of defensive tackles, has Williams uh, of defensive linemen coming into this uh, into this draft. Uh, a lot of them, again, even even a guy like Oliver who who was hurt a bunch of the season, most of them kind of lived up to the hype. But Williams ended up passing them all. Would he be the number one guy on your draft board, especially in a year that's low on quarterbacks?
1: He's up there. I I, I think he's top five. I, I look at uh, Nick Bosa's two plus year uh, run at Ohio State projects extremely well because he graded um, almost identical to what his brother graded for us, and he's translated extremely well at the next level. Um, so I think it's you know Nick Bosa's up there, Quinton Williams is up there, and then you know i think maybe a couple of the corners could be up there but i think they're they're certainly the top 2 and and Quinnen, you know incredible story how he's been been able to break out this year
0: it again it's going to be a little bit of a weird year for quarterbacks because there is no slam dunk number 1 but who are the ones draft eligible who've graded out well And could, you know, listen, quarterbacks also always get overdrafted there. They, you know, if you're the best quarterback, you're probably going to be a top 10 pick, maybe even a top five pick, regardless of how you grade out compared to other positions. Who are those guys?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think it is wide open. You know, Justin Herbert was the guy that we were really eyeballing before the season. You know, there was a point in the season where he was looking like he he was the guy. But, you know, he took a step back down the stretch, got banged up um Dwayne Haskins I think a lot of people expected him to break out and that was good to see I still have some questions about his play under pressure and some of those road games that Ohio State played he just was not the same player I think that's concerning uh Will Greer is a guy that he had the number two overall grade for us this year from a passing standpoint which was great um but you know he might be more of a fringe first round type of player so I think where last year there were so many potential first round picks five ended up going this year Uh, far more question marks when it comes to the uh, best quarterback off the board
0: Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus breaking down the college football playoff and a little draft stuff hey man that was awesome thank you so much for coming on and um, first of all Merry Christmas secondly Happy New Year and but most of all enjoy the football
1: I will appreciate it yeah always a great time of year bowl games nonstop, and it's uh, a whole lot of fun
0: And now, three and out, and we'll do this one a little up-tempo. First down, my pick for the Cotton Bowl is Clemson, though my sense is the Irish will keep the game interesting enough to make it worth watching into the fourth quarter. Second down, I'll take Alabama in the Orange Bowl because it's impossible to pick against the Tide. I don't know if this makes sense. I think Notre Dame has a better chance to keep the game close against Clemson than OU does against Alabama. But I think the Sooners have the better chance between the two underdogs of actually springing the upset. Third down, there have been a couple of reports pointing toward Justin Fields, Georgia's freshman quarterback, transferring to Ohio State. I've been hearing the same thing from people who have ties to both Fields and those two programs. At this point, I'd be surprised if Fields is not a Buckeye next season that's the show for today I'd like to thank my producer Warren Levinson for making me sound good not just this time but all year you can find this podcast on apple Podcasts and at podcast one please subscribe so you don't miss an episode Merry Christmas Happy New Year Happy Holidays to everyone thank you for listening to the podcast I really love doing it and I hope you enjoy listening tell your friends I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 college football podcast.